0: And welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable, freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I got a game called Phase Rip the other day.
1: It's basically the old Marvel superheroes game stripped out of all the trade dress and stuff. Oh, because okay. you can't copy, you, know, you can't copyright game mechanics. So you could, right now you could make a game where you roll a d20 and effectively it's, you could just make Dungeons & Dragons again and people have multiple times. Um, so they did that with the MSH game. I mean, it doesn't say that anywhere in it. They don't even once mention the game, but it's the exact same system with fighting, agility, strength, endurance, reason, intuition, psyche, that whole thing. The whole uh, system of ranks, you know, starting like a very small and then going up. They use different names, but it's the exact same. Anyway, because I have that, I now have a whole list of new adjectives to call you in the next <laughs> time we do our podcast.
0: Oh, I'm looking forward to it, and that means I might have to actually invest in it myself. It's free. <laughs> well, then I have to invest it's, my time.
1: Yeah. it's it's straight up free. I, I a friend of mine pointed it out to me. I went and got it off of a World Twenty. It's it's up for nothing. I'm I'm actually seriously considering using it if we do a supers game because it's. <laughs> It's one of my favorite game systems, although it is a little complex, so I'm, I'm on the fence about it.
0: Well, you know what? It's also complex. Sometimes we get some very complicated questions from some of our listeners out there. And, no, let's uh,
1: keep talking about role-playing games. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but we do love when you guys send us questions, so if you have questions for this podcast or the other podcast or even for the queue, uh, you can always send them to us. We do have Discord channels set aside specifically for it, uh, one for patrons, uh, and then one for general use. We always check the patrons one first, uh, and then everywhere else. And then if you want to as well, you could also email us at podcast at blizzardwatch dot com. Our first question comes from Zunam, a Death Knight of Nessingray. I. Or what, I can never pronounce that for whatever reason. My brain just doesn't like it. Uh, question for Lorewatch. Are the Nerubians connected to yog saron the way the Karaji are connected to C'Thun? If they are, and given that we have undead Nerubians, could that mean that other old god minions could be raised as undead? If not, could you speak to where they come from?
1: Yes. Do you want me to go? Yeah, go for it. Okay. The Nerubians are... Kind of like the Karaji, and kind of not, in that both the Neru- let's put it this way: the Nerubians, the Karaji, and the Mantid all come from the Akir. The Akir are born from an old god. We don't know which one. In fact, they may have been a mixed group from all the old gods. We don't know the answer to that question. But when the Akir went to war with the trolls, the trolls essentially, after after getting a hard time of it for a while, if you've done Zandalar, you've seen places that are, like, named after various other troll nations. Um, I believe there's, for instance, I think there's, like, Az- Az- Azab, I can't remember the name of the first one, but there's one inside the uh, Nazmir. Not Nazmir, no, the desert one. Vol'dun. There's, like, a very, there's an old place that used to be one of the uh, the, the tribes used to live there that later became, I think, the Amani. I think it's uh, azat Anan is the name of it. But when the, the, the Zandalari realized they weren't winning the war, they basically unleashed groups of expansionist trolls that wanted their own places, said, go ahead, go do what you want, fight the way you want to. And when, what happened was that the Gurubashi, the ancestors of the modern Gurubashi, drove the uh, the ancestors of the Mantid and the Karaji into hiding from them, while the Amani drove the ancestors of the uh, the frost trolls and the uh and the Nerubians not the ancestors of the frost trolls sorry the ancestors of the frost trolls were part of the group that that did this they drove the uh Nerubians away. In both cases, the ancestors of the Narubians and the ancestors of the Karaji, who were still both Akira at the time, found a Titan facility. Inside the Titan facility that the ancestors of the Karaji found was C'Thun and he seized control of them. Essentially they, they didn't have anybody to, they were isolated. They had been originally been led by a Chithraxi named Kithix. And when he was gone, they didn't have a leader. So slumbering C'Thun essentially grabbed hold of them and and remade them in his image. The Nerubians wiped out the, uh, Oh, bloody heck. The obsidian destroyers, the Tolvia. There were Tol'vir up north, by the way, if you didn't know that. There were Tol'vir up in mm-hmm. uh, Northrend at the time. They wiped them out. But while they did it, they didn't contact Yogg-Saron at all. In fact, they rebelled against the old gods. They were like, no, you just use us as troops. We're nothing to you, and we don't want to be nothing to you anymore. We don't want to be ruled and controlled by you. So the Nerubians, I don't know if you remember this, when you went to um, the, the various Nerubian dungeons in Wrath, the Nerubians were opposed to both the Scourge and the Old Gods. Yep. And the reason for that is because they rebelled against them. So no, they have the exact opposite relationship to Yogg-Saron that the Karaji have to C'Thun and the Mantid have to, to uh um Oh bloody heckyshrage! They have uh, they're antagonistic to them. There are some that have gone back into the worship of the old gods just out of sheer panic, because the scourge was wiping them out. But in general, the Nerubians set up an empire that was completely secular. They didn't worship the old gods. They didn't serve the old gods. They were, in fact, they were afraid of the old gods to the point that when Arthas is taking, uh, I can't remember anybody's names today. Um, the king,
0: Anubarak? the traitor king.
1: Yeah, thank you. Anubarak. Is it Anubarak or the other one?
0: Anubarak is the king.
1: It's Anubarak is the one. When Arthas and Anubarak were going through the underground Nerubian tunnels to get to the frozen throne as fast as possible, they ran into a quote unquote faceless one. And if you look at the, the, the map and you look at the Warcraft 3 mission, it looks very much like they're running into an old god minion, possibly an old god itself. So it could have been some pseudopod of Yogg. We don't know what it was, but when they see it, Anubarak is like, kill it! He's like, he freaks out. He doesn't want anything to do with that. The Nerubians are opposed to the old gods. Now, is that why Nerubians can be turned into undead and we haven't seen any undead Karaji and undead Mantid? Maybe. Maybe it just hasn't been done. I mean, the Scourge was up north. The Scourge wasn't in the places that the Mantid and the Karaji were. So it's quite possible that there's no Scourge because there's no undead members of those species because there's there just was no effort made to make them undead. Uh, The the Nerubians were resistant at first, by the way, they had to, uh, the, the Lich King had to apply himself to turning them. They, so it's quite possible that they're all resistant.
0: Well, that was the, what, the War of the Spider, right?
1: Yeah, the War of the Spider it took them some time. They didn't just—they couldn't just start killing them and raising them as undead immediately. They had to work on it. They had to come up with a way to do it. In terms, the only—the real similarity between the groups is that you can see Obsidian Destroyers in both the Scourge because they got them from the Nerubians that they conquered, and you can see Obsidian Destroyers in, say, on in in Onk-tet. not Ankhetet, Ankharaj. On the uh, like like Moam. Moam is an Obsidian Destroyer. He's a Tolvier. Yes, the Tol'vir are directly ancestral to all these guys. They're basically just if you take the stone versions of Tol'vir, the ones who haven't got the curse of flesh affecting them, you can turn them into Obsidian Destroyers, and that's what those guys are.
0: The other, so that's why those are together. The other interesting thing, and I just want to add this real quick, is uh, part of the reason that the Lich King and the Scourge, like his Scourge, had to really work at the the Nerubians, is because they were actually immune to the Undead Plague, which I think they're the well, only. Not- yeah, they're, they're, they were, they're marked as they're they, marked as immune to the plague.
1: They were immune to it. They came up with a way to make them undead anyway, but I don't think it was the plague they used to do it.
0: No, so and I think, w- I'm just and my wanna, question about I want to make sure one. you
1: when you say they're immune to the plague, don't don't think that means they can't be raised. They no. can be raised, but they can't be raised. Just, the plague doesn't just go through them and kill them.
0: Right now the question I have about that is I'm wondering how close it was because this has never been fully explored I don't think and you can correct me if I'm wrong but with what we know from like Darkshore now with that whole scenario and that with the raising of uh, some of those the night elf wardens into dark wardens. I'm wondering if some of that was similar with what happened with the Nerubians, where, yeah, they couldn't infect them with the plague and bring them back. But what if he killed them or they died in whatever battle and he gave them the option to come back to life and serve and raise them? Because he had access to the, the Vichryl at that point. He had them. He was See, using I'll them.
1: be up. I'll be up front. I still don't believe that the people that come back from the dead have free will and they've chosen to do it. I do not believe it. The only people who have ever said that are the ones that's done it's happened to. We've never actually had a character start off as alive, die, and g- be given their perspective from beginning to end. So we, for all that that's what Sylvanas tells us, for all that's what they tell us, we don't actually oh, was, have a perspective character.
0: I was going off of the fact that we see, like, you know, Nettles refuse and then we have to fight their spirit. But, you know, that I understand what you're saying. Yeah. But I'm wondering – I'm wondering. I'm just wondering if there, that was a factor as well because they never really it's explain how they raise it. It's him, impossible.
1: Right? We don't we, – well, I mean, you know, it's – you see more of it in Chronicle than anything else. Anubarak talks about it. Anubarak definitely does not give me the perspective of somebody who wanted to be doing this. True. That he chose anything. Anubarak is like, I didn't want this. He forced it on me and now you're forcing it on me again. So – If anything, Anubarak is the opposite and disproves that theory, because Anubarak is somebody who straight up doesn't want to be undead. The first time you see him as an undead, when he confronts his people and they call him the traitor king, Arthas is like, how do they know that? And Anubarak is like, they're talking about me. And the implication is always that that Anubarak did not want this, that this is not what he would have chosen. This was forced on him. And that's one of the reasons why I've never believed it. That suddenly, when Sylvanas is doing it, it's a free choice. I don't buy it.
0: I mean, unless there was the whole Arthas was able to funnel things where he wanted to in the afterlife because of control of the Varkul. That's a whole other thing. We can like for for another. Topic and also, later, we, but I'm, we don't know that, well.
1: that the Lich. We don't know that the Lich King had the Varkul yet, and had if he had or not yet. Balchir, in fact, yeah. it's quite possible he didn't. Because when when the, the Lich King fought the uh, the War of the Spider. Was was um, Nerzul, not Artus.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Artus wasn't even up there yet. It's quite possible that Arthas discovered them later. We don't know when the the Raikul got brought into the um, to the you know scourge, and we don't know when he started the the Lich King started making Valkyrie. Did he make them when he was Nerzul, or did he make them after? That's that's not something we have anything on we don't know exactly when that happened there are no valkyr or vrykul in warcraft 3 at least there weren't in the original one so it's quite possible that they did not join him until after which and is, so that's another question: Is it is it a different means of raising the undead? Did did he have to just use raw necromantic power? Did he just have to like rip them out of their graves and ignore whatever they wanted? Or like, force how, it like how did a it Death work?
0: Knight, where because yeah. like because um like um we Anubarak like he is himself, right? He is has his personality, at least to a certain degree. He's, yes, he's under yeah. control, but he's not a mindless undead. So no, it, no. It, to me, it almost comes off very closer to like something like one of the Death Knights, one of the original Death Knights, where like their soul was crammed back into their body, and they still retain a sense of self, but they're under the Lich King's control. So I, I always sort of equated a well, New Brack with that.
1: That's another thing to think about. Um, when you go through the Death Knight starting experience, the original one, you were definitely not asked.
0: No, you weren't. You were just shoved back in your body,
1: and you're—you don't even remember yourself until ori- you're reminded of who you used to be.
0: Yeah, in the original Death Knights—that was pretty much how it was done too, because it was Orc souls shoved into a human body, right?
1: Yeah, but they—they weren't—they weren't controlled. They—they they had the jeweled truncheons, and they were—they were willing to do what what they sure. were told to do by Goldon because the alternative was non-existence. But they weren't like he not even in the case of him like making them non exist he's like look you can be dead you can be this or you can stay dead it's up to you and they they went with that because at least they could still do things uh, but Terran Gorfiend, I mean they, they all those guys have nothing to do with the Lich King and no fact, but I'm, to, i was with the concept weird, of it right Ter- Terran Gorfiend and and Nerzul worked together mm-hmm. after Goldon had had been destroyed and it's likely that Taryn Gorefiend was the inspiration behind the kind of yep. Death Knight that Nerzul would create.
0: The, the template, um, the blueprint for it almost.
1: Yeah, because he never would have seen it before that. And then he would have like, oh, that's what you are. So it's interesting. But not, like, going back to the original question is whether or not they can be raised as undead. The answer is maybe. We don't actually know. They would probably be immune to, this, to the uh, Plague of Undeath, just like Worgen are immune to the Plague of Undeath. Because of their connection to the natural world, they can be made undead. You can raise them as Death Knights, but they're immune to the plague. Uh, so you can't just you know hit them with like disease and they'll pop up as zombies. They're immune to that Which, in a similar way. It's it's quite possible because again the uh, the Nerubians and the Karaji and the Manted are connected to the old gods. They're creations of the old gods, who are themselves blasphemous creatures from the void. So it's quite possible that that connection keeps them from being affected by the the Plague of Undeath.
0: But that goes to the second part of the question of whether or not the other ones could be raised as undead. I think that the uh, Nerubians make the case that, yes, you could. Uh, it just depends on the method in which they are becoming undead. We know that the plague won't work, but as Matt pointed out, raw necromantic power, yeah, that could probably still work. Uh, whether it's raising them almost as like death knights, that could also just work. We just haven't seen the other ones yet raised as undead. But I always wondered about that, too, with, like, the mantids in particular, because they're more they they display more humanoid like uh I don't want to say features but they they tend to walk upright they tend to to have a little more emotion people tend to at least in my experience, players tend to connect with them a little bit more. Like, I could see them being raised as, like, elite Death Knights. Like, imagine some of the Swarm Lords and some of the uh, Blade Lords from the actual Heart of Fear being raised as Death Knights to serve in the Lich King's army. I'm actually relatively surprised it hasn't happened yet, or we haven't seen uh, Bolvar try to do that before he lost the helm.
1: Well, I mean, let's be fair. Um, Bolvar had plenty of Nerubians, so he wouldn't need to go get other bug people once and done dead servants if he wanted them uh in terms of the karaji there are just as many personalized karaji it's just that we only mm-hmm. ever got to see them as bosses in a raid very true we never actually spent we never spent time as sort of buddies with them the way we did with the mantid um granted it was an alliance of convenience but we did work with them for a while so I think like it's a little unfair to say the Karaji don't have that kind of thing. The Prophet Skaram comes to mind as one who talked. They a lot of them talk to us, tell us, you know the the one that always gets me are the Twin Emperors who who look like giant bug Night Elves, and I've always wondered if like did they just copy Night Elves to make them, like how that worked. Obviously, the real truth is they just gave my Night Elf skeleton because it was easy, but you know lore has to bend when the game does things. Of course. Uh, and but in terms of all of this. The the question is twofold. The one is, can it happen? Signs point to probably. I mean, it feels like if it's alive, it can be made undead, if you're willing to pay the price for it. The scourge makes it super easy to convert vast numbers of people into mindless undead. You don't have to do anything. You just spread it. You 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 poison some grain, and next thing you know, half of half of the Northlands is full of zombies. Whereas the Lich King having to directly use his massive power to raise you from the dead is a significant investment. Like, each Death Knight isn't a significant investment. It's not the same as, here, look, I've got an entire army of undead and all I had to do was poison some grain, versus I had to go out and directly use my my vast power to rip you out of the place you're supposed to be and to shackle your your spirit into your body. And definitely, in both the case of the Scourge and in the case of the Lich King, there's no such thing as choice here. Mm-hmm. The Lich King does not ask.
0: Nope, you, it just happens.
1: Yeah. You know? So... In general, I think the, the answer to both of these questions... The, the, we, we, we've answered the question about the Nerubians in terms of where they come from. And in if the, the Karaji and the Mantid are both related to the Nerubians, they are all descended from the Aqir. Um... How they descended differently depends on where they ended up after the trolls had essentially broken their own empire to smash the Beakir. The uh, they, they literally... The, the Zandalari accepted obsolescence and fragmentation as the price to, to win the war. And they, they unleashed the Amani and Gurubhaji on the world and caused a troll diaspora, which led to like trolls living all over the world in different tribes. Before that war... The Xandalari were effectively in control of every troll, and it, the, the price of beating the, the the Akir was losing that control, because they couldn't they couldn't successfully prosecute the war by themselves. They couldn't run it by themselves. And once the Amani and Gurubashi had tasted freedom, there wasn't any going back. It's not like the, Z- the Zandalari couldn't afford to then attempt to reconquer their own their own people. And so they just were like, okay, you want to you want to lead up there? That's fine. We're going to keep Zandalar Mountain, but if you want the rest, fine. We don't care. And they decided to be culturally important, which is rare for power to do that. But maybe they understood what was going to happen next, because what happened next was the Night Elves came into being and just kicked the living crap out of both the Amani and the Garabashi until they whimpered off into their little holes. And... That war could not have happened without the trolls spending a great deal of their power stopping the, the Akir mm-hmm. and causing the three different kinds of, of, I don't know what you'd call them, insectoids?
0: Yeah, I uh, think that that works.
1: It's not really fair because the Arubians are clearly arachnoid, but whatever. Uh, the, those three different kinds of people all come out of that war. And they they should... If one is affected by undeath in some fashion, if you can raise them, then you should be able to raise the others.
0: Yeah. So I think that thoroughly answers that question. Uh, We're going to move on to our next one, which is from my hyphen A. As we look at all of the classes and how some of the newer class race combinations came about, I'm looking at you, Sunwalkers, what other combinations do you guys see being possible? For example, seeing how the Caltiran Druids use creepy drust magic to be druids, couldn't the Forsaken do something similar? I feel like it'd make even more sense post-Shadowlands, especially if we end up in a patch that sends us to Thross, or teaches us more about the Drust. Not that I need any more alts, but I totally roll a bony bear or carcass kitty. I mean, there's a—I don't know how many options. I am are straight for up.
1: That. I'm just—I'll just say straight up. I think they should just have every class playable by every race. I just—that's—that's that's where I am on this. I think we are way past the point of race class. In, in it just the fact that we have forsaken, might as well be druids. Not only do, do we have the Drust tradition mm-hmm. of like, you know, death as a part of the balance, but we've got two different kinds of human who can be druids now out of the, you know, it's like Forsaken are all dead humans. Why not? We've got the wolf humans. I think I described it once was original, original recipe, extra beefy and wolfy. Technically <laughs> Forsaken are dead.
0: You know what I'm saying? They're the lean option.
1: <laughs> not, no, no, they're not lean. They're like, you know, jerked, if you want to get like that about it. They're like, you know, sun-dried, plague-kissed. plague, plague kissed. I don't know what word you want to use, but the point being, they're effectively dead people. And if you've got a kind of druidism that touches on death as part of the balance, then yeah, why not?
0: We. We've talked about this a lot in the past, and we've had a lot of, of previous episodes where we've we've come up with the merits of it, but I'm with Matt on this one, and I think there's justifications to be had for any race-class combination. We've talked about, like, Night Elf Shaman. They are absolutely a thing that I could see happening and, and or, or Blood Elf Shaman in general like why not those are things that make sense lore wise uh, maybe you have a uh, dranai who you know focuses on the light to form their you know Druidic forms the light is part of nature the light touches everything the light feeds into that cycle why wouldn't there be a connection there why couldn't there be a connection there Um I mean for that matter I mean Blizzard
1: themselves teases stuff all the time oh yeah if you went through the Paladin Order Hall, you saw the Night Elf Paladin.
0: Yep, there was a Night Elf Paladin there.
1: So if we're going to have Night Elf Paladins in lore, let's have them in game. Um, th- there's just a lot of this stuff that I feel like we've we've gone past the point where it even makes sense lore-wise. The thing is is that if you, you, you want to have organizations that are unique to specific races, I get it. But the past however long, it's been 16 years we've been playing World of Warcraft. In that time, all these groups have been bumping into each other. Working They've had together. order halls. Yeah, it just it beggars. And, and the, the restrictions are strange. Like the idea that you can't have a Draenei warlock when the Eredar are the most famous and powerful warlocks in existence. And they're Draenei. Or, or more accurately, the Draenei are them.
0: And especially now, with like the legion on the back, like the back foot, so to speak. And, like, I'm not going to say they're defeated, but we push them back. So the lorish reasons of oh, the corruption of Sargeras, the corruption of Archimand and and Jaden and blah, blah, like that's not as much of a factor now. Like we've gotten rid of some of that. That this is why they don't do it. Maybe now they could. It, it but it makes a lot of this makes perfect sense to to allow like. Something that's always bothered me is we've had how many wars at this point that we've actively participated in in game? At least a couple. I think we're up to four. Yeah, I think we're up to four. So what happens during those times, this is something that like my grandfather told me about when I was a younger kid, is that when you're in the foxhole with somebody next to you, even if you don't know them or they're from somewhere that you're not from, you learn, you you understand things, you talk about things because that's what you do. Or if you're like up at night on patrol or, or on lookout, you talk to each other, you learn about each other, you don't have another choice. It's not like you can whip out a television or a newspaper and, and just kind of like go about your day because that's not generally how these things worked and that's not how they work here like in World of Warcraft like when you're in war and you're, you're bunkered down you're with different races you're with different classes you're going to talk you, there's going to be conversation, even if you like canonically hate that class like if you know we can go with the fantasy racism or whatever but you're going to talk even then at that point and you're going to learn something and maybe that sparks something and the fact that that hasn't well, happened really in, in any large scale bothers me
1: well, plus, I mean, there's something else that's not even related to that, which is valid. I'm not disputing anything you just said. But there's also the fact... Sorry, I had to cough there. Um, when you are at war with something, you study how they fight.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: absolutely. The, the idea that the, the, the Eridar are the master warlocks of the universe. Even if you don't want to be a warlock yourself, you are going to learn... About how the warlock magic works in order to oppose it, and that means there's somebody in Draenei you know, society who is an expert at warlock magic, and who could effectively be a warlock even if he doesn't. He still knows. This is the this is how we get atom bombs. You know, you know, knowledge from multiple sources is combined, and you eventually make a weapon out of it because that's what happens in wars. You try to make the best new super weapon you can. The horde has been making super weapons for like three war chiefs now. Oh yeah. You're gonna tell me at no point did any Forsaken think, hey, there's that undead guy in the next Ramas who can use the holy light. We should get in on that.
0: Or or the mages, human mages going, you know, they did this against us, maybe we could do this against them. Like There's there's just no there's no justification
1: at this point for like certain classes being as rare as they are. Druid isn't. Druid magic really comes to mind at this point. There's just no reason. Sh-
0: shaman are up there too. Can't
1: have shaman. I'm not as upset with shaman for the simple fact that shaman are supposed to be the kind of thing that certain groups look down on. And I'm okay with that because that that's a cultural bias that I can see. But I'm at the point where I think even that's dumb. Like at this point, you've seen this guy convince a giant elemental to freaking come up out of the ground and punch you in the face 16 times.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. How do we get him to not do that? Or how do I make my own so that that one that's punching? Oh, he's got a big punchy one. I'm going to make this fire one. I just, we're at the point where it's just, I, I've been, maybe it's cause I'm, I'm been playing too many modern role playing games. And I played divinity original sin where every class was open to every race. And any D and D based game, every class is open to everyone. Even race. now, yeah,
0: like in, in in people that argue that D D used to used to be restrictive. The keyword there is used to be, not yeah. anymore. Yeah, and
1: it it hasn't been for like two editions now. Easily, <laughs> you know. So I feel like the time has come for this to just be a thing. You, if you want to say it's rare, fine, it's rare. My character and, and the other the- thirty five who are going to roll it, because of course they are but my you know fine the player character is the only one who's really doing we, well,
0: it but and that, nevertheless the lore the lore doesn't have to f- Fit the player base, right? The lore just has to fit the world, so the lore could be whatever. They could say, like you said, that it, they could be rare, and there could be a thousand players running around as that that particular class race combination. That doesn't change the story, right? Like we've already experienced that how many times and how many class specific stories. The I mean, the Shaman Order Hall was all about that, and yet, how many Shaman players are there in the game? So like they they can't even hide behind that anymore because the player base doesn't have to inform the lore or vice versa just make it available and then the rarity is the story and that's fine so
1: and, and there is if you want to have lore justifications though there are there they're there for everything
0: oh you can, you can. if you
1: can if you could put in a torin who's like hey we've discovered the sun and now we're going to have priests and paladins. Then you could put in a night elf. You could put in a blood elf who's like, hey, remember how our ancestors used to use magic to control plants? I figured that out. So, yeah, I'm going to teach you how to be a druid now. And you could totally have a night elf who's like, a loon has decided to empower my blade. Boom, paladins. You, you, it doesn't take a lot of effort. This could be done for everything.
0: And I think Shadowlands is a really good opportunity to do that if they really wanted to, simply because we're going to places where uh, a lot of cross-pollinization could be a thing. A lot of understanding and learning can happen. Like, you're talking about druids. Uh, you go to Ardenwald, you're a night elf. Whoa, what's going on here? Ardenwald seems very druid-y to me. Like, why couldn't they teach them other things? Why couldn't they teach them, you know, there, there could be things. Uh, to justify it in game, coming up pretty easily, but let's move on to the next one, which is from Metalzani. Uh, question for Lore Watch: Howdy, Watchers! After listening to you talk about the Lich King in the last episode, I had a thought and started connecting the red string on my corkboard. I believe it was Uther. To first day there must always be first say there must always be a Lich King in the Hall of Reflection dungeon. And then at the end of the raid, where where this is spoken again, uh, then Bolvar calls himself the jailer of the damned. Fast forward to BFA, there's a quest to go visit him for Volgen called Jailer of the Damned, and now we have Torghast Tower of the Damned. Am I wrong in thinking that the Lich King seemed more like a metaphorical lock to keeping something sealed, and that's why the Dark Lady broke his helm to unlock her new buddies in the Shadowlands? Sorry for the wrong, le- wrong rant, keep being excellent at what you do. Again, we don't know what the purpose of the helmet domination was beyond controlling the scourge, uh, but, or where it's origin are, but this is something we're absolutely going to learn about. They've said as much, we're going to the forge that, that created this. And I believe Frostmourne as well. Uh, we're going there. We're going to figure out what happened. Um, I've been positing since the very beginning that this was a soul linked item that maybe didn't go quite as planned, uh, with the entity that was soul linked with it, possibly the jailer, uh, and I think that maybe there's something here where the helm was drawing from that power, maybe not necessarily as a lock, but keeping the jailer in Torghast from being full power and being whatever it wanted to do. So I think there is something here where the helm is instrumental in that, but I'm not sure that it was necessarily just a lock. I think it was more than that. What do you think?
1: Well, I mean, people use the word lock to mean a lot of things. Sure. And a lot of times people, when they think lock, they think key. But how do you get... Let's say you live in like one... You live on the Atlantic Ocean. And you want to get to the Pacific Ocean. You can go the long way around. Mm-hmm. You can sail entirely around South America. But, so you don't want to take that much time. And while it'll take more time in the short run, once you've dug a canal... Yep. In the long run, it will save tons and tons of time. People will be able to just go straight through. However, because of things like elevation, you can't just blast through a continent. Even a a small isthmus of land between two continents is a significant amount of land to shift.
0: Which is why they created lock systems.
1: They have lock systems. So you go up and down a level in order to get to the place you're trying to go. It's quite possible that the entirety of the the Helm of Domination acts as a means to effectively raise and lower the amount of the Shadowlands that comes through into our world. Right now, it's been destroyed, which would be like dynamiting a canal and blowing open all the locks. You do that, and the canal just literally streams through. You've got no regulation at all. And that's, that's problematic if you want to maintain normal things. You want to get people up and down in a normal way. But the shortcut still exists, and that's what that giant hole over Northrend is going to be. That's one possibly one metaphor to look at it. The thing is, is that none of this is established yet. As Joe said, we don't know the answers. But also, we're looking at it, we often look at things in a binary way. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a binary way. Like, it isn't just that there's a hole open that allows the Shadowlands into our world. That, world. that hole also allows our world into the Shadowlands. It's quite possible that a lot of the problems happening in the Shadowlands right now are because of too much of our world. Our world behaves differently. It has different rules. It has different laws of nature. It has laws of nature. Other planes of existence affect it. Shadowlands is not directly affected by other planes of existence, usually. Now suddenly it is. And by you, one by an, one plane of existence that is touched by lots of other planes of existence. It's quite possible the Helm of Domination was created to keep the Shadowlands pure. To keep us isolated. To keep traffic or, to go into one direction. Or, Things are supposed to go from our world to the Shadowlands. Not from the Shadowlands to our world. And if the Shadowlands wanted to keep the flow regulated so that Stuff comes in, stuff goes out. Now, suddenly, that's not the case anymore. It's not regulated.
0: That makes a really good point because now I'm starting to think about the whole uh, world soul and spirit situation and wondering if maybe that's what happened all that long ago. Because what do we, we, we've learned about Andraenor where there was no world soul, soul consuming the spirit and spirit ran rampant. We had the overgrowth, we had all of that happening, and then that great that whole situation there. But on Azeroth, that's not the case. Because we have a world soul, because we have Titan facilities that are being used to to funnel spirit back into uh, the planet itself, at least a little bit, that world soul, we've had a ton of weird situations, like the whole elemental thing and everything else. And wondering if the Helm of Domination plays into it, like you're saying, where... That was the only way to keep the Shadowlands from getting any spirit or or to allow them to get any spirit, to have that flow, like you're saying, to keep that spirit from being consumed, that anima from being consumed by the world soul who, you know, would have sucked it in. So that is a very interesting point, And I'm wondering if that might be part of it as well. I like that. Uh, anything else to add on that one? No, I think I'm good. Okay. Alright, our next one comes from Ghost over on Airy Peak. I came back to WOW at the end of Warlords and didn't fully level through all of the leveling zones in a rush to get to raiding. I have two questions from Warlords of Draenor. What happened to the alternate Draenor Ogren? Does he not exist? And two, is there a story in the Tanan Jungle or in a grand quest to explain how Gromish went from being a bad guy that ran the Iron Horde and wanted to invade Azroth and take over into someone that we're cool with joining us to fight Archimond? Okay,
1: uh, you want to do these or you want me to? Do? Go for it. Okay, we do know that Orgrim existed. We we see him. Uh he's if your horde side you're given a series of quests to con- try and contact him because you remember you're working with that world's version of Durotar. Yep. Um, Durotan, sorry, Durotar is the place. <laughs> um, be- while you're working with that world's version of Duritan, he tries to contact his old buddy Orgrim who is working for the iron horde and it doesn't really work out. Um, he doesn't, he's not willing to betray the iron horde. So you can't really, he doesn't join you, but he's there. You see him. Um, I think he eventually does kind of oppose Blackhand, but I don't remember. I've not done this quest in a long time.
0: Yeah, okay, Well, I'll I'll fill in on that one then. Uh, It was during the Battle of Shattrath in uh, Warlords of Draenor that Doomhammer and Blackhand actually fight. Um, Basically, uh, uh, Ogren Doomhammer says he will not kill innocents, uh, and he accuses of Blackhand making Draenor burn. Uh, and then basically he gets named a traitor and uh, and is just killed flat out by Blackhand, uh, which really stresses Duratan out. Uh, but that's what happens. Why we don't really see uh, him too much is he, he when he finally shows up and he was the second in command. Uh, uh, he would think he was what I think it was the Gromkar. I think it was the group he led, but he was second in command under under Blackhand. But when he wouldn't kill innocents. He was straight up murdered, and that the battle for Shadrath happened pretty early, as far as Warlords of Draenor is concerned. So that's why you don't see him. That's why he he existed. He just died.
1: Yeah, and in terms of why Grom goes from the box art guy to uh, you know our friend, in quotes. If I played Alliance, he was never my friend. Um, basically, if you get you get to a certain point uh, just before. The opening of Tanan, there's a quest chain that leads to you battling. Um, I can't remember her name, but Azula Blade Fury. Mm-hmm. You end up fighting her, and you you end up driving the Iron Horde back into uh, Tanan Jungle. You drive them out of of where you're of where you're fighting them. In I believe it's actually the same zone as the Battle of Shatrath. I believe it's, yes, it is. it's it's that area. I want
0: to say Talar, but I can't remember what they called the zone. Yeah, it was. I he, think it was either Talar, Taladar. I can't remember.
1: Yeah, but you you push them back, and they're like, you know, we'll be back. But then there's like a cutscene, and when you when when they watch the cutscene, effectively G- Goldan shows up again, and they're like, you know, get out of here. And he's like, you know, he offers Grom the chance to drink one last time, and he's like. No, I won't. And he goes, "Really? Not even after your son is dead?" And he throws the uh, two-handed axe Gorehale at his feet. And Gram is like, "My son?" Because G- G- Gramash never told. Um, I mean, Garash yeah.
0: never told. Garash
1: never told Gramash that he was his son. He never said, "I'm your son from another world" or anything like that. So this was the first in this world. His wife died before she could bear him a son. Goka died first.
0: Well, in this world. yeah, and he, he helped facilitate that a little bit, too. Don't yeah, forget. He yeah. he called her a, a wolf without teeth and walked away and left her to die.
1: Yeah, but nevertheless, she died before she could bear him a son in this world. So as a result, he had no concept that, you know, Garash you know, Gar- Gar- was his son. He just knew that he was this powerful warrior from another world who, you know, told him, you know, don't drink the blood. It's bad. So he's all stunned and he's not reacting at first. But then he's like, no, I won't drink it. I won't. Take the deal. And Goldan turns and goes, What about you? And it's, um, oh bloody heck, eyeball guy. I'm having a real hard time with names today.
0: Oh, um, Kilrog. Yeah, it's
1: Kilrog who's like, Alright, I'll take the deal. And Goldan basically uses uh, fell magic to pin a Grom to a wall while Kilrog takes the deal and starts drinking the blood and turns into a, a, a fell orc. And that's how the the orcs we see in the Fell Horde come out of that. They're members of the Iron Horde that take the deal after Kilrog deposes Grom. And that's why Grom is our quote-unquote friend, because he's an ally. He hates the Fell Horde. He hates
0: Goldan. Oh, he hates Goldan. yeah.
1: Yeah, and he absolutely hates the demons who want to enslave his people. Uh, and as a result, when you do the raid, uh, there's a fight that is basically just a big demon lord who's got a really cool-looking axe... And I know this because I have farmed that guy in every difficulty. I've got all three of them. Um, and when you kill him, you know, Grom drops out of his, you know, his shackles and is like, yeah, I'm definitely I'll see you at the final fight. I just have to have some, some time cutting some trophies off of this guy just, you know, because he upset me with all that torturing thing. So that's why he's on our side. It's not that he suddenly became a good guy. It's just that he hates the Fell and the demons as much as, as we do.
0: And, and and the whole we saved him thing helps a little bit because we yeah, did.
1: Yeah, it's true. We did
0: save him. He's it, it's, uh, it's but, almost like it's almost like an indebted honor thing for him at that point too. And I think he comments on that as well.
1: But at any rate, it, it's definitely a case where he has motivation. that the things he did up front, by the way. The reason he he decides to conquer our world in the first place is because Garrosh very deliberately doesn't show Grom all of the, the alternate world's history. Mm-hmm. He doesn't show him Thrall saving that Grom from the from the demons. He doesn't show he doesn't show any of Thrall's role in it. He doesn't show the repentance. So. He think this Grom goes into it thinking, "Oh, the alternate version of me just failed and drank the demon blood and was a monster. I have to not be that." He never once saw his own redemption. He didn't see Thrall's role in it. None of that. So he was shown some of our history, but not all of it. Um, that's also, by the way, if you ever ever people wondering what happened to to the you know Gr- Grom's son. From that timeline, when you when you're the Maghar joined the Horde, the reason that no one calls that guy Garrosh is because he probably wasn't named Garrosh, mm-hmm. and he almost certainly he had a different mother because Garrosh's mother died in that timeline without ever having a child. It's much the same thing as Nirzul's wife is still alive on that world when she died before the events of the the Legion showing up in our timeline. On that world, she's still alive. There are differences between the warlords of Draenor, Draenor, and our Draenor. There are a few of them. They're they're pretty significant ones, too. People people are alive who who died. People died who were alive. I think at one point it's even commented on the story. It's like blades of grass. Some of the blades are different. The the grass looks the same, but if you get down and actually start looking at the blades, you start noticing differences. That's the way that that Draenor differs. And it's... Quite possible, for instance, that the story of that Gul'dan is not the same as our Goldon. Um, if you re- if you watch the uh, story that they put out, the short for the Gara- from for the Goldon from that world, uh, it is not necessarily the same as what happened in our world with our Goldon. So that's that's something to keep in mind.
0: Our next question. Greetings, watchers. Enjoying the weekly episodes with both Matt and Joe, while still missing Anne. Yeah, we uh, we miss Anne too. Hope she enjoying her. She's enjoying her current occupation at Blizzard HQ. Uh, I am very sorry if my question has already been answered before, but please allow me to ask regarding the Night Elves. If my understanding is correct, Night Elves were descended from Dark Trolls, which both High Elves, Blood Elves, Slash Void Elves, and Nightborne were descended from Night Elves. My question is, at which point do the Night Elves gain the transition to Wisp when they die? Because my understanding, please feel free to correct me if I am wrong, for both High Elves, Blood Elves, Slash Void Elves, and Nightborn, when they die, they do not turn to Wisps, I think. Is there any existing explanation for this? Maybe during the Blessing of the Dragon aspects? Uh, I also do not know if all Night Elves turn into Wisps after they die. If so, then, during the burning of Teldrassil, all Night Elves that burn should have returned as Wisps? Uh, the process is a little bit confusing to me. Night Elves die, turn to Wisp, then Wisp dies, go to Shadowlands? Apologies, the question is so simple, but since Shadowlands has been announced, I got curious about the matter. Uh, this is from Aramis, a human paladin on Airy Peak. Uh, I don't know. Do we ever ex- explain the wisp pro- process in game? I mean, there is no explanation.
1: They—that's what happens when they die. They don't. There's no point where anyone says, you know, why do we not have ghosts? Why do we have wisps instead? Uh, They—the thing—the reason is that we first see the wisps in Warcraft Three, and they're hanging around a forest, and they basically come when. The, they're called by Malfurion, he blows the horn yeah, the, and summons them. From the Grove they, of Asenia, right?
0: Yeah, Asenia. and they
1: attack they attack um, oh God, Archimonde there we go, I actually remember the name today they attack Archimond and, and basically infuse him with so much power that he explodes and the implication is, is that when night elves die, because they are so bound to nature that they just inhabit it after they're dead in wisp form but it's never specifically stated why Night Elves have this and others don't. Why don't, for instance, we don't know what happens when Dark Trolls die. Because we they're, as far as we can tell, all the Dark Trolls are dead. If they're not all dead, then they're hiding. We, mm-hmm. we don't have any real knowledge. Supposedly the last Dark Trolls died during catacly- just before Cataclysm. The uh, Twilight Hammer killed them when they were getting ready to attack Hyjal. Uh, we don't know, but we've never seen one we don't know how they work they they're actually appear in Warcraft 3 i think but
0: yeah they they're they're, that, the, they're the basic they're the basic building unit of Warcraft 3 which is when they were transitioned over into uh, as far as like World of Warcraft goes they were essentially night elf peons back then uh, they're one of those weird things where a lot of their lore and history has been retrofitted over the years to really fit what the current model is as far as the game world goes. Um, there's a low level quest. I remember from the Alliance side, uh, I think it was after cataclysm. It was the Ruins of Aberdeen. Um, you basically go there and you're coaxing the spirits out of the dead bodies to become wisps like this process is something you're helping them accomplish um and it's not the only time like we know that the horn of scenarios is what matt was talking about before um when that was blown uh that they all showed up during the third war during that final battle and we we saw that during the mount hygel raid as well uh that was part of that whole final sequence but also during the uh burning legion during legion when we had all the artifacts we had that branch of uh the Kahanir, the mother tree and that was capable of summoning them as well uh we don't know if that was just like waking up the dead or pulling them out but in every aspect whenever they're being called they're always emerging from like matt said nature they're always emerging from the trees that they helped inhabit or that they they were so connected to um and then I think the last time we saw them, this expansion in Battle for Azeroth was uh, during the War of the Thorns where Melfurion summons a whole wall of them to essentially cut off the Horde uh, or at least slow well, them down.
1: There's actually one dark troll alive oh. that we know of. Uh, and she's, um, she's a dark troll of the Shadowtooth Clan. She's in the House of the Fallen Tribes at the Terrace of the Speakers in Dazar and when you talk to her, she says something to the effect of, you never heard of the Shadowtooth clan? No surprise, the tribe be wiped out by the Twilight's hammer. Does Zandalari be keeping one representative as a memento of the past? Now I be nothing more than a curiosity. It not so bad. I never have to buy any of my own drinks. Hmm. So that's the one that we know of. And she's a female dark troll. She's in the Zara lore, as I said. She just looks like a troll. There's nothing specifically about her that... You look at her you don't say "Ooh, that looks like a night elf except her skin's kind of a blue color and her hair's kind of green so at least i'm looking at it and it kind of looks green in this picture but it might be a darker blue for that matter i keep in mind blood in my eye so i have trouble with certain things but yeah there's one left alive the rest we don't see the shadow tooth are the only ones we've ever seen Mm -hmm. they're the ones we saw in uh in warcraft 3. They, they aided the Night Elves, the Alliance, and the Horde at the Battle of Mount Hyjal. That's the only time we ever saw them. And that's the the only one left is Speaker Iknal, who says they were wiped out by the Twilight's Hammer during the Call's attack on Hyjal. So, yeah, as of right now, there's one Dark Troll left. If
0: there are any others, we don't know about them. And whether or not they could be coaxed out as wisps, who, I mean, we, yeah, we don't know. We, don't, we can't know now. No
1: but in terms of like where wisp the spirit wisp spirit seems to be come from as the night elves got a stronger connection to nature. It, I don't recall if for instance, the, uh, the war of the ancients, I don't recall if those novels mentioned it or not. I don't um, think they did. Uh, I, I certainly don't know of anything, but wisp spirits are generally treated as Loa yes. by trolls. Um, and they're they're obviously treated as as revered ancestors by the night elves. In terms of like, you know, do they do they go first to the shadowlands and then come back in wisp form out of Ardenweald? I don't have an answer to that question. I don't know how it works. And in terms of I think in general in general terms, however, the reason that other and other elf tribes don't have wisps is that they've they've turned their backs on the night elf connection to nature.
0: I think so too, yeah. Um, if you look
1: at the blood elves and the high elves before them—they shaped nature in Quel'Thalas to fit what they wanted it to be aesthetically. Not, they didn't live in peace with it. They—they sh- they made it be what they wanted. They didn't emulate it and they didn't worship it. It was a tool and it was something that did what they wanted. Void elves, obviously, even further down that road, and the uh, the nightborn took the highborn thing and went way wild with it they they isolated themselves in a bubble their idea of nature was a zoo that they kept some animals in and their tradition of of the arcano you know the arcana trees and so forth was very definitely not druidic um maybe it could be considered a cousin to druidism but they they definitely moved further away from nature as well so that's prob- probably why they don't have wisp forms because they're not in tune with nature the way that night elves are um and physically they're they're all changed too although the nightborn are the closest the nightborn still look mostly like night elves at least they still have the the, the skin tones and ears they're pretty similar but in general all the other elves have, are pretty different also i'm so kind of curious changed.
0: with the nightborn too if that's an option for them since now we did everything with the Arkandor. because that full... really
1: doesn't feel natural in the slightest
0: but it was you like, Arcandor... it was a druid that helped make that thing a thing so I'm wondering if there's mm, a melding was, there. He
1: wasn't really a druid. There's a whole thing about whether or not that guy's a druid. That's we could, We've gotten into arguments with that before, so I don't think we need to again. But there's a lot to that guy's story that implies he's not a druid.
0: Fair. I think uh, we but have at time.
1: At any rate, we don't really know one way or the other.
0: And I think we have time for one more. So... Uh, Hi Joe and Matt, reflecting on Matt's often well-versed summary of the history of the Human Kingdoms, and taking into account your past discussion about your desire for future WoW expansions to address the neglected consequences remaining from the major story arcs, my question to you both is in regard to the now derelict Human Kingdom of Alterac. With the Forsaken retreat from Lauderon during BFA, and the canonical victory of the Alliance in retaking Stormguard, and presumably restoring the Trollbane rule, I am left to wonder if Alterac would also be restored under Alliance rule, as well, given the strategic advantage from these circumstances. Assuming this is true, please speculate how Alterac could be restored, or the likelihood of Alterac being merged into Stormguard, or how the remnants of the Horde is able to continue to hold on to the runes of Alterac. Uh, thank you. Our thanks, as always, for the great show. Uh, to Darian Voidelf, Disciplined Priest from Bronzebeard. Uh, okay. You, go for it. Um, I know up, you got a lot to say on this one.
1: Well, up front, Paranold's gone. the The Paranold family, the ones that that ruled Alterac, uh, and King, Iden Paranold, betrayed them during the Second War, and allowed the Horde to pass through Alterac in exchange for a, for a promise from them that they wouldn't harm Alteracard's people. He just straight up, you know, he 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 just straight up made a deal with them. Uh, when they found out, the Alliance was so mad that they smashed Alterac. They just destroyed it. Um, there, There's nothing... It's very hard to say there's anything even left. So... Today there's no Alterac, really. There's like... There's some ruins. There's, there's some cottages and stuff. It's not like there's this... The nation does not exist. Uh, the lands are gone and the, the position of ruler of of Alterac is gone. Like, both, there's been like two people who've, who've like, from the Paranold dynasty who've claimed it. I think they're both dead now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Aladin Paranold, he was the last living member of the, the, the last member of the family and he was the leader of the syndicate and
0: I'm pretty sure he died. There like, was... He, he, there's Isildan and Gilneas, but we don't know what happened to them.
1: Isidon Paranold? Yeah, he was. He fled to Gilneas, but he he got backed by Gen Greymane, but he didn't really get to do anything. Like As far as we know, we don't even know if he's alive.
0: Right. That's what I'm pointing at. We don't know if he's even around uh. still.
1: There's actually a Warcraft 3 Death Knight hero unit named Baron Paranold. So that might be Isildon. But we—it's like he does not show up. Sent like we have not seen him in some time. And as for the third guy who claimed to be related to them, uh, his name was Deval Prester, <laughs> and he was a big dragon. Uh, so yeah, he was Deathwing. So unless Deathwing comes back, I don't think he's going to be making it any claims. I think as of right now, it's like I don't know what Blizzard's planning on doing with the whole Forsaken story. I I'm I've played more night Elf, so i tend to focus on the night of story and so forth but if you're forsaken you're in a really weird place right now your your ruler since warcraft 3 since world of warcraft started uh since warcraft 3 really was sylvanas windrunner she's now not leading the forsaken she's effectively abandoned them that leaves you in a place where we don't even know for sure who's going to end up leader it, it certainly looks like it's going to be calia menethil Like, the game has been making a lot of strides towards Calia Menethil. Oh, yeah. Possibly with the help of, like, other figures, including, um, oh, bloody heck, I can't remember her name. My God, I'm having trouble with names today. The the one that's the undead girl who's, like, a spy. Thank you, Lillian Voss. Mm -hmm. Lillian Voss seems to be involved in some fashion. So, that looks to be what's going to happen. But I can't say for sure. You know, we haven't actually gotten there yet but if if you look at it the forsaken have lost like their entire starting zone just like the the night elves did it's gone like they don't have any of it and it's very unlikely like people have like said well you think they went over to like did where did they go like where where like they couldn't all have been evacuated are there any like did they move over to the Playlands? and that's certainly possible um we were talking about this. I think it was last week, weren't we? I think so. Uh, I'm sure. I can't. I'm drawing a blank on this on the city in question because it's the one that Sylvanas had originally claimed. Uh, it, originally, Chromie was there, and I'm not. Oh,
0: uh, why? Um, goodness.
1: Yeah, it's it's really bad today for me in terms of remembering names. Uh, but that zone, that area, that city. That could be one place the undead went they they absolutely could very well go to Alterac because there's nothing there there's a there's a there's an ogre infested ruin it would be the work of a couple of hours for them to clear that out and they could use the ruins of Alterac. they could set up shop there but we don't even know like right now i don't even know what the status of taran mill is Mm -hmm. like do, do the do the forsaken still have taran Mill? Like, remember, they killed everybody in South Shore. They completely took over that zone. Do they still hold it? Do they have those farms in that area? How much of the, you know, with the Alliance having taken pretty much, canonically, the Alliance has taken over the entirety of of Stromgarde and that zone. The Horde, does the Horde still have Hammerfall? If they do, do they, they still have Taran Mill? Like, they, they would effectively be surrounding the Alliance there. Like th- there's a lot too. We don't know. We have no idea what's going on. So it there's really no feasible way you could create. You could put somebody on the throne in Alterac and because there's just nothing there. You could claim Alterac. You absolutely could. Uh, but it's kind of like you'd have to basically recolonize it. I think is what I'm trying to get at. You'd have to basically clear out the ruins. You'd have to set it up. I think either faction has an equal chance of being able to do that. In some ways, the Forsaken and the Horde would have a better shot at it. Because they'd have support from coming down from Quel'Thalas. They'd have Hammerfall as a possible base. Uh, they'd have Revantusk if you want to head all the way over. They've got bases in the area. The Alliance, however, would, is probably wants to reclaim Silverpine. And they want to reclaim Gilneas. Mm-hmm. I don't think they'd go for Alterac first.
0: I don't think so either.
1: I figure that they're, they're, their option is, now that they have Stromgarde, they'd probably try to set up some kind of supplying base on the way to Gilneas, and then just claim Gilneas, and then push up from there. Uh, that seems to me the more likely option, rather than going to Alterac. A place which is you know synonymous with treachery, and which has no real strategic value anymore, because there's nothing there. It's not like the ruins of Alterac the pass anymore. Where It's not like when the Third War, like Second War, where the Horde used Alterac as a way to sneak into Lordaeron. No one's going to be doing that right now. Oh, so, by, the,
0: by the way, the city we couldn't think of, I just remembered, it's Anderhal.
1: Anderhal, thank you. Yep. Uh, yeah, I couldn't get that in my head. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think in general... The entire area feels like it's up in play, and if you're like playing a Forsaken right now, I feel like they kind of need to come up with a way for the Forsaken to reclaim their area, just because if you don't,
0: they're sort of like, in the wind.
1: Yeah, where are they going to go? Like, are they going to just all live live in in Orgrimmar forever? Are you going to create a colony for them somewhere? Can you give them Ashara? Like, you know, the, the, with the Alliance having won at the Battle of Darkshore, the Horde's in the worst position on both continents that they've ever been in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: like they they've the alliance is now very firmly encamped in Hygel, so they they're like looking down at you uh they've got Darkshore back um they're probably going to push into ashenvale again uh, especially since it's the night elves and the night elves don't care what please peace treaties anduin signs they they are absolutely unconcerned with them they are not going to obey them they're going to try and take back every piece of territory they've ever lost so you've got that pressure on Kalimdor, and then meanwhile you've got all these Forsaken with no place to go. You know, I feel like they've got to try to reclaim the areas that were theirs originally, which would certainly throw a spanner in the Alliance's plans to take back Ylnaeus, much less claiming some place like Alterac, which is so... Out- I just... I don't see it happening.
0: Yeah, and, and I agree with everything that Matt said. Like, it's one of those things where I think it would be cool to see some of that, but I mean, I think the last... Living or I I can't even say living the last person that can claim any lineage to any of those places is an undead NPC at this point in in one of those zones. And that's it. Like, I don't think that it's going to be a higher priority compared to some of the other options. And honestly, like, while I would love it to eventually be dealt with, and I think it would be a very interesting story, um, the sort of like the reestablishment of those areas, like the Kingdom of and, and and sort of like putting that back together, I could see the Alliance trying to do something along that later on, like, especially with everything that's going on with Anduin and the human side of things in general, I could see him trying, wanting to... Rebuild that at some point and appoint somebody as the new, you know, first of that line or whatever the case is. Like you are now the the preeminent family of the Altarac, right? Like that's. that's yeah, remember
1: that the, the last time they tried that again? It was Deathwing.
0: Of course, I'm just. So but I'm, I'm saying I'm not I'm, saying that I'm not saying that it was good. I'm saying that I could see them trying to do something like that again. But we'll see what happens going into the future. I think that this is something we are going to actually start to see more of. And I think mostly because of what Matt said and something that I've been thinking about a lot is how do you like how do you reconcile these starting zones for these races now that things have progressed forward story wise? And we always knew that this was going to be something that happened, especially after the major events of Battle for Azeroth, after Teldrossel burning, after uh, Undercity going away and, and Brill sort of like now being up in the air. How is that all going to work out? How is that going to play out? How's that story going to be? Uh, we're going to find out more about that, I think, coming into the future. And I think there will be something that deals directly with that. I don't think it will be up front in Shadowlands. I think it's going to be something we catch maybe at the end of it and maybe leads into sort of the aftermath of Shadowlands. Because, again, going back to something we talked about before, we know that there's going to be erratic time jumps in Shadowlands while we're there. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, like, our key NPCs are all going to be going there. That doesn't mean, like, Anduin's going to be jumping through the portal. He's got other things he's got to deal with here on this plane of existence that he's probably not going to be worried about going into the Shadowlands. He's going to leave that probably to the heroes. And so what happens during that time frame, what happens during, you know, if it's five years, ten years, twenty years while we're over there, we don't know how long it's going to be. We know that there's going to be some time time screwery going around. Uh, But what happens in that time frame? Because the world will change or should change while we're dealing with the other things. But it's a good question. We will see what happens. Hopefully uh, we get something about that in the future. But... Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, have a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ad-free site experience. Uh, again, if you have questions for the podcast, be sure to send them in. You can send them to podcast at blizzardwatch.com, and that can be for either show. Uh, hit us up on Discord in our queue and questions channel or our patrons only q and podcast questions channel let us know uh, and we have some exciting things coming up in the very near future for you uh, going along with those themes that you've been sending in so thank you very much for that uh, and we will see you next week